0: Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, act, taking hurt to hope. Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl.
1: Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to have a discussion about something we all do, but when we do it a lot, we get ourselves into trouble eating or not eating for emotional reasons. Think about why you eat. You already know what foods are healthy for you and what are so-called junk foods. And despite your knowing this, you probably find yourself craving potato chips or chocolate or cookies. When you feel happy, you might even feel better if you order a pizza, or if you feel sad you might crave some ice cream. Emotional eating is about eating especially high-calorie, high-sugar and salt foods with the aim of changing feelings, or more specifically, trying to get rid of bad feelings like boredom, loneliness, anxiety. Emotional hunger can feel like an obsession that needs to be satisfied instantly with certain foods, sometimes called comfort foods. Comfort foods are available everywhere and usually are much cheaper than healthy foods. According to the research, 75% of overeating is caused by emotions we're trying to manage. Today, you're going to get a chance to speak to an expert, Dr. Emmett Bishop. He is the medical director of adult services at the Eating Recovering Center in Denver, Colorado. He's the past president and fellow of the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals and a fellow of the Academy for Eating Disorders. You can read more about Emmett by clicking on his name, you'll get his link at eatingrecoverycenter.com. Remember that ACT has three parts opening up to whatever is going on inside you, which in this case might be emotions, thoughts, or sensations that you like or don't like, becoming aware of the nature of these private events, in this case, could be seeing and understanding that cravings for certain foods or urges to get rid of those feelings come and go and you are not these events and you do not need to respond to them. And thirdly, engaging in actions that matters to you. And this could be mean engaging in activities that you care about right here and now rather than waiting till you have lost weight or feel better about yourself. I want to welcome you, especially Emmett.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Emmett, you are in Denver, Colorado, is that right?
2: That's correct.
1: So, Emmett, you are a psychiatrist. Yes, I am. And so what got you interested in this really difficult field of eating disorders?
2: Well, I was sort of pulled into this area by serendipity. Um, Early in my career, uh, I worked with a um, girl who had anorexia nervosa, which is sort of Mm -hmm. self-starvation. I was in my training years at that time, and I really was fascinated with that case. Um, And then later on, when I was a professor... Uh, I had a student who wanted to study uh, bulimia, which is a condition where people eat a lot of food in a very short period of time and mm-hmm. then try to get rid of it in uh, various ways, or mm-hmm. another, one way or another. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so this is at a time when um, things weren't known, uh, much wasn't known uh, about these eating disorders, and it sort of primed me to move into the field of eating disorders uh, and start a treatment program uh, later on.
1: That must be really difficult as a physician to to um, uh, see someone either starve themselves or uh, binge eat and and then vomit to control it, but that must be difficult. It's a uh, nothing that's easily diagnosed and fixed.
2: Right, and it's uh, a lot of times people are so ashamed of these problems that they keep it a secret. And you know, we we tried to uh, un- understand these problems early on in the field, and I and I think we struggled with it a, a great deal.
1: Yeah. It must have been hard for you personally too to see the hopelessness of of there have been no treatment and yeah, it, the difficulty to help these people.
2: It, it 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 was it was a it was a big struggle and I had um, some of my uh, professional colleagues coming to me and say you know we're doing a terrible job of treating these patients and so I always sought to try to improve on it.
1: Yeah. So how how can you explain w- what is meant by emotional eating? That's a little difficult term.
2: Well, I think what is commonly understood by emotional eating is eating behavior that's under the influence of emotions rather than hunger or nutritional needs. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, for example, uh, eating uh, large quantities of food, food. Um, has been noted to reduce awareness of negative thoughts and feelings. And um, they've actually put monitors on people to record what they were experiencing at the time um, of eating inappropriately. And usually they find with these monitors that they are um, having an, a, neg- a negative emotion.
1: Like, what, what kind of, what do you mean by negative emotion?
2: Well, usually it's something uh, like anxiety or um anger or guilt or, or shame. Those are the common medicines, uh, I'm sorry, the common uh, emotions that we label in a negative way.
3: Mhm. Mhm.
1: So um it it so this disordered eating uh, th- that would be a way to this binge eating or starving yourself that would be a way to handle these emotions.
2: That's right. I think that um, the need to uh, escape these emotions leads to, you know, um, uh, eating as a control and eliminate tactic, um, you know, to try to get rid of what you don't want to have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I think you know, a lot of professionals fall into this trap. I think I did, um, you know, of trying to tell people you've got to learn how to manage your emotions. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and I think that uh, I've come to see that managing emotions is actually the problem, not the solution.
1: Emmett, isn't that quite unusual for a physician to say that? Um, because I think it seems like in our culture, both uh, as parents, we we try to ask children, "Why are you crying?" and stop the crying, and and even in the healthcare that we that we shy away. We want people not to have pain and not to suffer i mean isn't that part of what we learn
2: absolutely i mean we think if you've got a problem um, prescribe a pill for it so it's very natural to say if you if you don't if you've got something that you don't like let's try to make it go away immediately uh, with something as simple as prescribing a medicine Um,
1: how did you as a physician get get away from that way of thinking
2: well, I think I was uh sort of forced to do it because of um the 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 difficulty in solving the eating disorder problem. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, uh people the more and more they try to escape the what they feel through uh disordered eating, the more and more they have the problems. And I think uh I became uh you know totally um uh frustrated with my efforts to try to change things for them um so that i had to find a new way to approach the problem so this was sort of
1: like a rigged
2: game uh, exactly Yeah, you know it's a game that you can't win uh you know emotional e- eating promises a quick fix but it's not a permanent solution it just keeps coming back the problems that you have that you're trying to escape um so the more you try to escape the contents of your mind the more you have them you know for example uh I, sometimes I say to uh, some of my uh, patients, uh, uh, um, try not to think about horses, and they will, you know, get what the the nature of the problem. The, m- the more you try not to think about horses, the more you think of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Emmett, why are eating disorders so difficult to overcome?
2: Well, I think uh, eating disorders become progressively entrenched uh, by a process that we often have little awareness of. Um, we unwittingly train ourselves by uh, you know seemingly innocent, irrelevant behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I sort of think about when I was a teenager you know having to do home a homework assignment uh, in the afternoons after school. You know, it's a beautiful day, and you'd rather be outside, you know, playing football or baseball uh, rather than inside doing your homework, Mm -hmm. you know. So maybe a candy bar or a bowl of popcorn, you know, soaked with butter uh, might make the homework, you know, a little more, you know, palatable.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That that seems so – that's something students uh, often talk about where I work at the university, that they use candy to keep themselves – in their homework at the computer because they're bored or they're tired, so they use sugar. That's
2: right. That's right. You know, uh, a relatively dull activity like homework can be paired with something that really fires up your reward center in your brain, and uh, helps you, uh, you know, um, you know, get that boring homework done.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably very common.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but you know, as you go on uh, with this type of pattern, you um, uh, you can generalize to much bigger problems and emotions that you don't want to deal with. You know, I think I think many professionals, like I was saying earlier, fall into this same trap of trying to help their clients, uh, you know, eliminate and control, you know, uh, what's you know what they feel like is out of control at this point, uh, which is their eating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mehmet, we talk about eating but what about the starvation
2: starvation also has the same effect you know one of the things that i see with uh, people s- stuff suffering from self-starvation is uh they are numbed out they just mm-hmm. don't feel in- intensely and when they start refeeding themselves they actually begin to experience emotions vividly mm-hmm. and that's when it the, you know, the treatment gets rough because people are saying, now I feel. Okay. And uh, they want to escape what they feel rather than being making room for it, you know, welcoming their feelings, you know.
1: Okay. So you mean both starvation and binge eating both have similar effects that the, it numbs the…
2: Exactly. They both uh, allow people to escape, um, you know, unpleasant thoughts and feelings.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How common is this problem,
3: Emmett?
2: Uh it's a pretty common uh situation, I think. I, I would guess that somewhere between ten and twenty percent of the population suffers with this. I, I've seen data where they say um one in five women have an eating disorder or some variant of an eating disorder. So it's it's pretty uh common.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: so when, when you think of how, how ACT came into this, what, what is, uh, you've mentioned, uh, so behavior, there's on the one hand, behavior that's aimed at uh, changing feelings, changing emotions, and in ACT, uh, we talk about valued actions or doing what matters to you. Can you right. explain, explain how that works?
2: Yeah, um, you know, as I um, suggested before, uh, trying to change emotions uh, is a rigged game. You know, uh, part of the problem is the way our we're designed, our brains are designed. You know, emotions are drives that uh, protect us. You know, uh, our fears and our anxieties um, protect us from dangers or punishment. Mm hmm so it's there these are important mechanisms in our brain, and neuroscientists uh, tell us that trying to get rid of our fears uh, is a very difficult proposition mm
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know it's as if our brain says that um, you know if we learn to fear it's worth keeping it, even mm-hmm. if it 's useless <laughs> <laughs> so so the harder we try to escape our, the fearful thoughts, the more we have them mm mm-hmm. It's like that, uh, you know. Don't think about horses phenomenon.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, how is that different from a valued action?
2: Well, the way I sort of conceptualize it is that, um, you know, we um, we we get into a never-ending struggle. When we try to eliminate the contents of our own mind, those thoughts, feelings, body sensations or memories that that we don't want to have, you know, it's just a never ending struggle that uh, keeps us tied up um, and keeps us from actually putting our energy and creativity into the things that we really do. Value are the things that really count for us, mm-hmm. so I think it's a huge difference there um, um, you know there are a lot of motivators for um, uh, the behavior that we engage in um, and I think uh, one of the most important motivators is what we value mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately, we can get trapped in in the motivation of trying to avoid what we feel mm-hmm. and think
3: mm-hmm.
1: Isn't that a trap? Uh, I, I sometimes, uh, when I have worked with uh, obesity, uh, we pe- uh, women will say, "Well, um, uh, I'm going to give myself a treat," and and they would this would be confused with a value. Uh,
2: Right, yeah, that you know in eating sort of fields it really um if you're working in this field, you really have to sharpen yourself on what you're calling a value, mm-hmm. because I ran into this problem very early um when I was trying to do values work with uh, our patients because the first thing they would say would is, "I value thinness."
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: and i started saying well how do i deal with that thinness you know if the value thinness has gotten them into big trouble i mean they mm-hmm. have uh now got in into medical conditions by trying to um you know control their body weight uh and the very process of trying to control uh, these uh, physiological processes have, has made the problem worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They they become more energy efficient, so everything's backfiring on them. Uh, this whole business of trying to uh, pursue a, something that's not uh, an intrinsic value. So I uh, that's what I had to do is to sort of differentiate values that are, are means to something else from values are that are really the the core, um, part of the core nature of the person. And um, so that's um, that's the distinction I try to make with people now, that thinness is a, a value that is a means to something else like love and acceptance.
1: Right. Yeah, that must be really important. So, so could you explain how does ACT approach generally this problem?
2: Well, I think the beauty of ACT is that it helps us sort of redirect our energy and cre- creativity toward, um, you know, th- those important things, uh, what counts for us. And it helps us get off of that treadmill of emotional avoidance. Um, and ACT does this by helping us uh, let go of those futile struggles to escape the contents of our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, um, you know, often the eating disorder advertises to us that it can help us avoid our anxieties and painful thoughts. And the more we struggle to eliminate them, the more we have them, as we've been saying. Mm-hmm. act, You know, ACT really helps us to accept that we don't need to struggle to eradicate uh, unwanted thoughts um, and feelings, mm-hmm. but that we can really make room for them and direct ourselves toward our innermost values.
3: Mm-hmm
1: hmm hmm so um so so act is about um uh holding what our mind tells us lightly
2: that's that's right uh yeah and i sort of uh try to uh help people do this by looking at uh the mind as sort of a toolbox mm-hmm. i I use this term a lot uh, to sort of um uh help um my clients get a little distance from, you know, their thoughts and feelings. Uh, And so I say that your thoughts and feelings are part of your mental toolbox, and Mm -hmm. they may or may not be useful depending on, you know, what what the given situation or context is, you know. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I point out is that um, we accumulate a lot of these mental tools over the years. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And some of them – are, you know, no longer useful and have to be pushed aside when you're sort of rummaging through the toolbox to find the tool you need for the moment.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so I use this to sort of help them uh, see that, you know, uh, thoughts are useful tools only, you know, to the extent that they they help you approach or make contact with the things that are important to you. Um, and I use the example, um, you know, for example, uh, in the world of tools, a hammer is a useful tool, but not in the context of writing letters. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and so it goes for our thoughts, you know, they're useful tools, but I think the thoughts that serve us best are the thoughts that um, serve our values.
1: Yeah, that's a very a bottom line in ACT is, is it workable? Is it useful?
2: That's right. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Emma, could you give us an example of how you work? Uh, have you worked with a person with act and emotional eating? Um, y-
2: yes. Um, you know, I can give you um, I can give you some some ideas about some of the tactics I use a little bit. Um, uh, for example, um, you know, I I try to help the eating disorder sufferer take perspective on their own minds with a compassionate stance. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, often they didn't ask for a lot of the things they got. Uh, they didn't ask for their temperament that makes them a little more prone to having an eating disorder, or, mm-hmm. nor their learning histories, the things that uh, accumulated in that toolbox over the years. So I asked them to step back and sort of view the contents of their mind as if they were viewing a movie, you know, if, uh, mm-hmm. as, you know, if they're troubled by a particular thought like, I'm fat, um, I will sometimes uh, get them to repeat it in a, you know, uh, in a language. I'll give them a word from a foreign language like Spanish, you know, like mm-hmm. in Spanish you have a word uh, grasa, which means fat, but it also sounds sort of like um, grace. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. So, so when you say grasa, um, you know, it, it it doesn't have a feel for it if we, as as the feel we get when we say the word "fat."
1: Mm-hmm. That's that's a good example. To use another <laughs> language. Uh-huh.
2: So, uh, so I do that sometimes. And then, then other some other times I'll have them just repeat a word like "I'm f- fat" over and over again until it just becomes a a, a sound. It doesn't have any more emotional uh, power. Um, just to show them that that's the nature of words. You know, um, you know, words are, um, uh, you know, have the power. Um, that we attach to them you know um so if we can detach from that that word uh then they no longer have that uh power over us
1: mm-hmm. that's a good example of how to work with words what what about uh for um, the self-starvation what kind of do you, any example of that
2: well with self-starvation um you know it's um it's sort of the same problem because uh, many of the people are motivated to try to change um, uh, how they feel about themselves. They feel like if they, um, you know, get thinner and thinner, they'll be more accepted by other people. So uh, often, I will try to help them see the rigged nature of that game. You know, that mm-hmm. what they've gotten so far. You know, they've gotten thinner and thinner, but has it gotten them anything that they uh, that really matters to them, and often the answer is, more times than not, it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so helping them see the, you know, the futility of the struggle, uh, particularly with the, um, you know, the the starving type mm-hmm. person, is is an important part of it. And in fact, in fact, uh, I think people working around the world with these patients have found them very difficult to motivate, and and that's why I went to ACT because ACT. Has a built-in motivator of working with values.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have an, any example of a person with self-starvation that you've worked with?
2: Um, I have lots of examples. Uh, in in what sense uh, are you? Uh, um, say, well. Um, I, I, I think I can give you a good, um, a pretty good example of a person who's who's starved and has gone, you know, um, the other way too. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, I had this woman who um, came to me, she was an older woman, um, and she had had uh, 20 years of struggling with um, an eating sort of binge purge behavior, Mm -hmm. Uh, but she had originally started out with anorexia, and uh, so she had been starving herself in her late teens, uh, and she had gone from one treatment program after the other, uh, and she was totally demoralized. Um, Nothing had helped her get out of her eating disorder. Um, And, you know, eventually the eating disorder had changed from uh, starvation, which is uh, uh, frequently the case, into just binging and purging behavior. Um and so when I first saw her, you know, she was just ridden with uh shame and guilt about her inability to um s- stop engaging in the bingeing and purging behavior. Um you know, she was afraid to make any uh life changes because her mind was telling her that she would be overwhelmed by any change mm-hmm. that she make. And this was ex- uh, especially uh, discouraging um because she um was really in love with a man who loved her very much and wanted to marry her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in spite of the love that she felt for him, she felt like she could not marry him because of her terrible eating, you know, secret.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, she thought that she had to uh, overcome and eliminate her, you know, binge purge eating before she could move forward in that relationship or even change her her work and mm-hmm. she just couldn't conceive of it any other way.
3: Mhm.
1: Mhm. So how what did you how did you work with her?
2: Well, um what I did was um you know, I asked her to reflect on uh, what she wanted for her life um, in the best of all possible worlds with no one looking over her shoulder. you know I wanted her to do a real um, honest values assessment. and right off the bat, uh, she told me that she, uh, she would want to find a you know a job that really took advantage of her talents and training. And, of course, uh, she also wanted to fulfill her longing for a loving relationship with her boyfriend by consenting to marriage. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
2: you know, but these things couldn't happen in her mind until she had eliminated, you know, her binging and purging behavior. Mm-hmm. So I asked her to rate the importance of these values and then her success in contacting these values. And the importance was very high, and, but her success was very low.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So then I, I I asked her to sort of search within herself and make room for her anxieties, shame and guilt and to commit to the to living the life that she said that she wanted.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And I agreed to support her and stand by her as she took these uh, scary steps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and in fact she was amazed when um she told her boyfriend of her eating problem, Mm -hmm. and he just, instead of rejecting her, he just reaffirmed his love for her and how he would support her,
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: and she, you know, she agreed to eat a regular pattern of uh, nutritional meals in honor of her value of health, and uh, finally she made a pact with herself to search for a job worthy of her talent and education, Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, the bottom line was that uh, she had shifted from a life that was emotion directed uh, to a values directed life. And I actually vote, uh, joked with her that she had changed her job description from one of a, a motion manager to <laughs> values director.
1: <laughs> That's great. From emotions <laughs> manager to values director. That's great. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, The story had a uh, happy ending. Uh, I I saw her
2: two years later, and she was um, happily married and uh, free from her eating disorder behaviors. You know, and that was after more than twenty years of uh, struggling with them. So this is a good story for Act.
1: Yeah. So uh, Emmett, uh, when I try to you know think about what you did there, uh, you you helped her become aware of. Uh, the person that she wanted to be, and the difference between that and how she was actually behaving, which is more handling her feelings and letting them direct her, letting fear direct her and anxiety direct her. So you showed her the difference between who she wanted to be to from which how she was actually behaving.
2: That that's right, and and I'm amazed at times how when people. Um uh, realize this: how rapidly they can change. You know, sometimes they go for years and years of struggling, trying to change the thoughts in their mind, and they get nowhere with it. And the, but once they see that the transformation it can be in a different way, it happens very rapidly.
3: Mm. Mm.
1: That is amazing. It sounds it sounds quite simple, though. Although I'm, I'm sure it's not as simple as it sounds.
2: No, sometimes it's very hard to let go our attachment to, you know, our thoughts, beliefs, you know.
1: Mm, yeah. And then we're getting towards the end of the program, and I wonder if you have some advice for our listeners. I'm sure since what we said in the beginning is we probably all do this to some extent, use food or even alcohol um, to change our feelings or to, you know, emphasize our feelings. What What kind of advice could you give our radio listeners?
2: Well, you know, as we were just uh, implying, I think it's important to believe that we can transform ourselves, you know, relatively rapidly when we learn to let go of struggles with the content of our minds. So. And that, you know, our identity is not with uh, how we describe ourselves, but with uh, what we in value intrinsically. Mhm. Yeah, I think we have to be careful about this as we were talking earlier, you know, what it means to value something else. Uh, you, know, it's, it's, you know, people fall into that trap of valuing thinness uh, you know, as uh, the necessary step uh, for them to start living their life. And I think, uh, you know, we find over and over again that that relentless pursuit of thinness – has brought um, them nothing but misery and often health problems that were totally unexpected.
1: So think of, of what is beyond the life beyond uh, thinness, or what 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 life what really matters to. you. That's the key. Yes. Involved in that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amit.
2: Well, thank you so much for having us. I've really enjoyed being with you today.
1: Today, you've been listening to Dr. Amit Bishop. He is the Medical Director of Adult Services at the Eating Recovering Center in Denver, Colorado. Amit is the past president and fellow of the International Association of Eating Disorders, Disorder Professionals, and a fellow of the Academy for Eating Disorders. You can read more about Emmett and his work by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain values in action, and epilepsy, a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon
3: for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.